welcome to Over and Smith, a HP Lovecraft podcast where me, Art, and a friend read a, a story by HP Lovecraft in somewhat chronological order. Um, my, I, as I said before, my name is Art, and with me today is someone who's just, you know, really wanting to know what's happening in those woods over there. Yeah, what's going on over there? Yeah, Faith, what's going on? Uh, wow. Uh, reporting from the field, uh, there's, like, some trees, uh, there's some shrubbery, uh, there's some deer, uh, there's some, like, uh, crap things, but, uh, I'm sure it's fine. Are they coming out of a cave filled with black rocks? Yeah! Okay, that's normal. Yeah! Just normal crab stuff. Just normal forest crab behavior. Yeah, so, uh, we're reading, uh, we're gonna be starting a, uh, th- my favorite book. Yes. Well, my favorite novella. Mm, is it novella? I think it's yeah. considered a novella. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, it doesn't matter. It's longer than ten pages, so it's technically a longer story. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's Whispers in the- Whisper? The Whisperer in the Darkness. <laughs> yes, this is a really good one. Yeah, uh, we get aliens, first off. Yes. That's, that's the first thing. What I mean, I don't more know what else to say. do you want? We get aliens. We Ali- get crabs with wings. <laughs> this, it's like the skit from SNL. This club has everything. <laughs> aliens, crabs with wings, a radio. <laughs> Probably yeah. some classism. So you never know, we might not have any. Um, yeah. There was only well, some mild classism in the last one. Yeah, like, I think Lovecraft is learning how to use the people in his stories better. Instead Definitely. of being for things to happen upon them. Yeah, he's like, wow, uh, these uh, characters can actually be characters and not just a uh, self-insert of me. <laughs> they can actually be separate from me. Amazing. But yeah, Whisper in the Darkness is... I actually remember this one pretty well. Um, I think I also remember it because the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society made a really good uh, film adaptation of it. Yeah. Really good. Um, so I heard mm-hmm. coming out from the woods, you know, flying overhead in this, like, weird cabin over here. You know, that's, uh, something's happening. Oh, yes, uh, I hear from the clickety-clackety of those crabby claws a blurb, and it says, This tale was written during an unusually extended period, from February 24th to September 26th, 1930. Damn, <laughs> yeah, he usually writes his, like, he wrote, uh, what was it, uh, Unknown Kadoth in, like, three months, I think it was? He, he wrote yeah. quick. Um... And its genesis goes back to at least 1927, when Lovecraft first visited Vermont. Captivated by the unspoilt beauty of the state, Lovecraft wrote an eloquent essay, Vermont, A First Impression, whole passages of which have been incorporated into the story. The setting of Henry Akeley's farmhouse is a melding of the residences of his friends, Vrest Orton and Arthur Goodenough, Oh, it is. <laughs> That's legit. His name is good enough. 
It's spelled G O O D E N O U G H. Arthur, good enough. Just good enough. Yeah. Lovecraft was deftly included. Lovecraft has deftly included the discovery of the planet Pluto into the text. Its discovery was announced a month after he began writing the tale. It was first published in Weird Tales in August 1931. I didn't. I forgot that Pluto was discovered like that late. <laughs> yeah, I think we discovered dinosaur bones before he discovered Pluto. Oh, we discovered dinosaur bones. Thousands of years ago. Yeah, and I mean, I know we did, but like we actually pinpointed it to like an ancient beast and stuff. Yeah, like we actually um, had like paleontology. Yeah, like, like there were because there were paleontologists and archaeologists in like the eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah, and it's it's but like the idea of like because for whatever reason, like I think of astrology like as something that maybe wasn't figured out, but people had like a good idea that stuff was out there. Oh yeah. Um, way longer than I think about, way before then, I think about people like, oh, look, if I put these bones in a certain way, it can make, like, a creature. Yeah. So. Well, most of the planets were discovered, like, by the Romans and Egyptians and even before that. I mean, they didn't know what they were, but they could pinpoint them. They knew where they were, and they had names for them, at least. Like, I wonder, when yeah. was Neptune discovered? I know you can see Neptune with the naked eyes, so they would have seen it. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Yep, uh, September 23rd, 1846. So, this is, like, almost, two, like, a hundred years after they found Neptune? Damn. Yeah. Anyways, yes, that sounds, this all sounds interesting. So, HP spent a long time writing this, which is probably why it's so good. I feel like the stories that we read of his that are especially good, like, you can tell he's done some editing. Like, even further yeah. than what he does. Yeah. We know H.P. does at least more than one draft. Yeah, which we is... Have, we have read Dunsany, we, we know. <laughs> and I love Dunsany, but he desperately needs to do more than one first draft. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have, uh, I have a little blurb as well. Oh, um, yes, you have your special book. Yeah, the story may be seen as a more mature version of Beyond the Wall of Sleep, achieving much greater depths by providing a detailed providence for an alien race known as the Elder Ones, instead of the vague history implied by the prior tale. Lovecraft here expands the Penelope, Penelope, Monopoly, Penopoly, Penopoly, yep, Penopoly of beings which humans form only a small part in the story document in the story's documentary style despite the narrator's almost unbelievable naivete gives it a ring of credibility and enhances the shocking final revelation and yeah it's, it's th that's part of the reason why i like it yeah yeah damn it's also the reason why Shadow Over and Smith is real good, because it takes more of a documentary style where someone is actually going out and finding things out from people. Yeah. Instead of from books. And yeah. you get different voices, and you see more of the area. Yeah, like, I feel like the it wasn't the entire story, but it was moments of it where we had the professor in Dunwich Horror, like, doing stuff and talking to locals and reading books books was like much more successful than some of the other stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. 
Like, I really liked him uh, and the locals hanging out. <laughs> yep, but uh, but yeah, let's get started. Oh, by the way, um, because of the way these are formatted and everything, um, we're going to have, instead of having like six longish episodes, we're going to have like probably closer to eight shorter episodes. Yeah. Just we, because. I think we really, uh, definitely you reading um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward, I think we learned... <laughs> It's better just to do a bunch of shorter ones than it is to do fewer longer ones. Well, I don't mind reading like 10 pages at a time. Like that's about as long as I can read yeah. out loud. Um, it's just I'm not going to do more than 11 and yeah. this these don't work with that. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah. So this is uh The Whisper in the Darkness, chapter 1. Bear in mind closely that i did not see any actual visual horror at the end to say that a mental shock was the cause of what i inferred that last straw which sent me racing out of the lonely ackley farmhouse and through the wild domed hills of vermont in a commandeered motor at night is to ignore the plainest facts of my final experience notwithstanding the deep extent to which I shared the information and speculation of Henry Ackley, the things I saw and heard, and the omitted vividness of the impression produced on me by these things. I cannot prove even now whether I was right or wrong in my hideous inference, for after all, Ackley's disappearance establishes nothing. People found nothing amiss at his house despite the bullet marks outside and inside. It was just as though he walked out casually for a ramble in the hills and failed to return. There was not even a sign that a guest had been there, that he had mortally feared the crowded green hills, an endless trickle of brooks among which he had been born and reared. Means nothing at all, either for thousands are subjected to such morbid fears as such eccentricities moreover moreover could easily account for his strange acts and apprehensions towards the last the whole matter began so far as i am concerned with the historic and unprecedented vermont floods of november 3rd 1927 i was then as now an instructor of literature at Masonic university at arkham massachusetts in an enthusiastic amateur science of New England folklore. Shortly before the flood, amidst the varied reports of hardship, suffering, and organized relief which filled the press, there appeared certain odd stories of things found floating in some of the swollen rivers, so that many of my friends embarked on curious discussions and appealed to me to shed what light I could on the subject. I felt flattered at having my folklore study taken so seriously and I did what I could to belittle the wild, vague tales which seemed so clearly an outgrowth of old rustic superstitions. It amused me to find several persons of education who insisted that some strata of obscure, distorted fact may underlie the rumors. I do have a fun fact here, and it's a long fun fact. Yeah. So, uh, called, the, called by many Vermont's greatest natural disaster, the flood 
wrought ruin on many parts of Vermont, the Vermont Historical Society wrote, it had already been a wet October and the rivers were swollen and the ground saturated. Nine inches of rain fell at in thirty in a thirty six hour period, and horrendous flooding began. Damn. Although although all of New England was affected, Vermont was devastated. The state flooded from Newport to uh, Bennington, with the uh, Winooski River Valley hit the hardest. Eighty five people died, and nine thousand people were left homeless. And then they have the uh, the cite citation there, which I feel like you should have put that at the end, <laughs> the asterisk, but whatever. Whatever. Um, uh, President Coolidge, Coo- uh, Coolidge traveled to Vermont a year after the flood on September twenty first, nineteen twenty eight, in a speech thereafter known as the Brave Little State of Vermont, expressed his admiration of the self reliance of Vermonters and recovering from the disaster. I love Vermont because of her hills and valleys, her scenery and invigorating climate. But most of all, because of her indomitable people, they are a race of pioneers who had almost beggared themselves to serve others. If the spirit of liberty could vanish in other parts of the Union and support of our institution should languish, it would be replenished from the venerous store head by the people at the brave little state of Vermont. Uh, the speech was also inscribed at President Calvin Coolidge Homestead in Plymouth Notch, Vermont. Oh, Jesus. Um, I was going to say, it's interesting that so far uh, HP has inverted two common tropes in his works, which is um, typically the main characters, like, fantasize about their childhoods and where they grew up. Like, Unknown Kadath, that's, like, all he talked about. Um, Randolph Carter, all he talked about was how great Boston was and how he missed it. Um, and he usually has, like, intellectuals, like, professors or, like, other people that are studying stuff as a main character as well. So this dude is talking about how... Uh, um, Akeley is terrified of his childhood home, and this dude is a folklorist. He's not like a uh professor of like history or something. Yeah, I like I like that this guy is just like I'm like very interested in this, and people recognize that like I like this stuff. My friends are interested in my hyperfixation. I know. I love. I I'm just. I get, buddy. It's it's great. You get to info dump on stuff that you like. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's why I have a podcast about things I like where I could just talk about the things I like. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting so far that he's changed some things up. Yeah. And that's kind of going to be the theme for the next uh, couple of stories as well. Yeah. Go out of your comfort zone, HP. <laughs> Yeah, too bad you're gonna die in like six years. Oh God! Uh, this is this came out in 1930. Yeah, it's, it's six, seven, eight years. Yeah, one sec, seven years, seven years from when this 1930 is when he finished writing this. So seven years from when he finished this, he died. Yep. So, uh, oh, that's great. 
Uh, he's gonna die of stomach cancer. <sighs> woot woot. Okay. Oh. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't even know. Why woot, I did the woot woot. Get one of but, those party poppers. <laughs> uh, but okay, that was a long fun fact. That was damn. The tales thus brought to my notice came mostly through newspaper cuttings. Though one yarn had an oral source and was repeated to a friend of mine in a letter from his mother in Hardwick, Vermont. The type of thing described was essentially the same in all cases, though there seemed to be three separate instances involved. One connected with the Wasuski River near Montepaler, another attached to the Rest River in uh, Windham County beyond Newfane, and a third centering on the Passamsic in Celadonia County, above Lindenville. Apparently all those are within 90 miles of each other. Oh. Damn, According I wonder what it's fact. like to live on the East Coast and you can just drive for, like, 15 minutes and be in another state. Yeah. What's or, that like? That like in Kentucky, fun. there's, in Kentucky at least, there's a, uh, there is some sort of thing that you can call a sediment, settlement every five miles. Yeah. Even no. if it's just a group. Uh, yeah. It takes seven hours to visit family of mine that live in the same state as me. Well, I mean, you need a lot of spaces for all those white supremacists. <laughs> we just corral them into their own little pasture. <laughs> I mean, don't don't forget. I mean, you also have the cults as well. It was funny. I think Idaho has more cults. Uh, Montana certainly only had one noteworthy cult, and they fell apart years ago. Well, they're only noteworthy because they failed at their goal. It's true. Yeah, they're also because their um their leader got married to a dude that was like uh twenty years younger than her, and got pregnant as well when she was like hmm. fifty. Um, but yeah, oh. they've. I can't remember what they're called, but anyways, they their church fell apart a long time ago. They're not a very successful cult. Mm, I don't know. Uh, There's probably Idaho a real successful the, cult somewhere. Idaho had an actual like complex that had to be raided by the FBI. Well, I mean, all you need to be raided by the FBI is to be a civil rights leader. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't take that much. Yeah, sometimes they'll even firebomb you. I know. Jeez. Of course, many of the stray items mentioned in other instances, but on analysis, they all seem to boil down to these three. And some country folk reported seeing one or more very bizarre and disturbing objects in the surging water, then pouring down from the unfrequented hills. And there was a widespread tendency to connect these sites with a primitive half-forgotten cycle of whispered legend which old people resurrected for the occasion. What people thought they saw were organic shapes, not quite like any they've seen before. Naturally, there are many human bodies washed along by streams in that tragic period, but those who described these strange shapes felt quite sure that they were not human, despite some superficial resemblances. In size and general outline. No, nor, said the witnesses, could they have been any kind of animal known to Vermont. 
They were peakish things, around five foot long, with crustaceous-like bodies bearing a pair of vast dorsal fins or membranous wings and several sets of articulated limbs, sort of convoluted ellipsoid, covered with multitudes of very short antennae, where a head should ordinarily be. It was very remarkable how closely the reports from different sources tended to coincide, though the wonder was lessened by the fact that the old legend shared at one time throughout the hill country furnished a morbidly vivid picture which might well have colored the imaginations of all witnesses concerned. It was my conclusion that such witnesses, in every case naive and simple backwood folk, had glimpsed the battered and bloated body of human beings or farm animals with the whirling currents and allowed the half-remembered folklore to infest these pitiful objects with fantastical attributes. Also, good thing, describe the weird stuff up front. Yeah. It always helps. Yeah, like, at first I was like, weren't quite human body. Like, here's the thing, uh, if you don't live in the South or any place that floods regularly, uh, not just bodies, but, like, coffins and, like, bones and bodies that have been dead for a long time will wash out of cemeteries during floods or hurricanes. So I was thinking, like, maybe it's just that. But then they're like, yeah, it looks like a fucking crab. I was like, never mind. It's silly of me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not a person. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but no, they did. He's, he's doing good. He's, he's doing, doing good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good job, HP. Even though you say that these people are simple. Also, wait, I also want to bring another thing, thing here. Um, sure. People from different areas will kind of like vary up their descriptions a little bit. Mm-hmm. But generally, if they're saying about the same thing, unless they personally know each other and they're trying to not be caught for a crime. Yeah. Maybe they're saying something similar. Yeah. Also, like, these are very detailed, specific descriptions of these things. I don't think that they're just seeing a counter like, hmm. And I don't know if you ever <laughs> heard someone, uh, I don't know if you ever heard an old person tell a story more than twice. It's going to be different. Yeah. Each yeah. time. Uh, so, but you know, so far he's, you know, he made a little bit of a dig. We we have but a like, little, we have a little bit of classism, but that's not but, surprising. And also, it's not like, it's also like a, a, a professor who's like, oh, all these dumb hicks. Like it, that would happen nowadays, even with like a quote unquote like non problematic. I do have professor. To s- I was gonna say, do you have to say the professor in Dudwich Horror was surprisingly like not that classist? No, I was I was amazed. Like he's like, here's a telescope. This is how you use it. Uh, please watch for us. Thanks. Okay. If yep. you if you can help us find this uh invisible giant monster, that'd be cool. You know this area better than us. Yeah. Yeah. Not like uh, a complete 180 from the guy in uh, uh, Beyond the Wall Sleep. Fuck that guy. That guy was an asshole. That guy was an asshole. (laughs) All he talked about was like, this guy's so dumb because he's from the backcountry. The ancient folklore, while cloudy, evasive, and largely forgotten by the present generation, was of a highly singular character and obviously reflected the influence of still earlier 
Indian tales. I knew it well, though I never had been to Vermont, though the exceedingly rare monograph of Eli Davenport, which embraces material orally, obtained prior to 1839 among the oldest people of the state. The material, moreover, closely coincides with tales which I had personally heard from elderly rustics in the mountains of New Hampshire. Briefly summarized, it hinted it hinted at a hidden race of monstrous being which lurks somewhere among the remoter hills, in the deep woods of the highest peaks and the dark valleys where the streams trickle from unknown sources. These beings were seldom glimpsed, but evidence of their presence were reported by those who had ventured further than usual up the slopes of certain mountains or in certain deep, steeped side gorges that even the wolves shunned. There were queer footprints or claw prints in the muds of bank margins, in the barren patches and curious circles of stones which grass around them worn away, which did not seem to be placed or entirely shaped by nature. There were two certain caves of problematic depths in the sides of the hills, with the mouths closed by boulders in a matter scarcely accidental, and with more than an average quota of queer prints leading both towards and away from them. If indeed the directions of these prints could be justly estimated, and worst of all, there were the things which adventurous people had seen very rarely, the twilight of the remotest valley, and the dense perpendicular woods above the limit of normal hill climbing. So so some some cave crabs, some good times. Yeah. Some cave crabs. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those just yeah, we have those. Whatever. <laughs> I I tried so hard not to make a your mom joke when you said problematical depth. Cave <laughs> of problematical depth. <laughs> Took everything I had to contain it. <laughs> it would have been less uncomfortable if the stray accounts of these things were not agreed so well. As it was, nearly all the rumors had several points in common. Averring that the creatures had some... S- sort of huge, light red crab with many pairs of legs, and with two great bat-like wings in the middle of its back. They sometimes walked on all of their legs, sometimes the most hind pair only, using the others to convey large objects of indeterminate nature. On one occasion, they were spied in considerable numbers, a detachment of them, wading along the shadow woodland watercourse, three abreast, and evidently disciplined formation. Once the species were seen flying, launching themselves from the top of a bald, lonely hill at night and vanishing in the sky after its great flapping wings had been silhouetted an instant against the full moon. These things seemed content, on the whole, to let mankind alone, though there were times held responsible for the disappearance of venturesome individuals, especially persons who built houses too close to certain valleys or too high on certain mountains. Many locality became to known many localities came to be known as inadvisable to settle in. 
The filling persisted long after the cause was forgotten. People would look up at some of the neighboring mountain precipices with a shudder, and even when not recalling how many settlers had been lost and how many farmhouses burnt to ashes on the lower slopes of those grim green sentinels. I keep picturing, like, uh, somebody looking up to the top of the mountain, and at the very top of it is just this crab, like, with its claws out, and it's, like, silhouetted by the moon, (laughs) just snipping its little claws. I like to think that one of them is just, like, standing up on its hind legs, and it just, like, with a knife. (laughs) 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 Just has a knife. Like a like a, like a little pocket knife too. Yeah, it's just like ah. ah. <laughs> I like also, also though to to oh, to bring no, it to a, a more sp- to bring it to a more spooky note. This is like the shit I love when uh when researching like local cryptids and stuff. Yes. Uh like the actual description of these things sounds pretty spooky. Like from the like the ones that were washing down the mountain, uh, but like, like I've been recently looking at different species of crabs to get for my aquarium, and that's all I can picture. <laughs> it's just normal crabs. Also, um, I'm real chill. This is real chill. Just a bunch of crab flying crabs yeah. that just like have their own society, and they're just like. They're not yeah. even bothering no one. They're not ha- Like, this is real chill. They're just hanging out on their mountain. Just having yeah. a great time. Like, I'm so down with this. But while, according to the earliest legends of the creatures, would appear to have harmed only those trespassing on their privacy, there were later accounts of their curiosity respecting men and of their attempts to establish secret outposts in, in the human world. Well, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Faith. Faith. Yeah. <laughs> I want to have one of these as a neighbor, and yes, I want them to try secret. their hardest to look like a human. I need secret one of these crap. to be my neighbor. Oh my I would. I, I would. I would bring it. I would bring it. Uh, sea urchins that are cracked open already. Oh. That doesn't have to do anything. Yeah. Uh, I would <laughs> like. I would watch. I would walk its dog. Oh my god! I would love if my neighbor was actually three crabs in a trench coat. Well, I don't know how big are these things. It sounds like they- it actually sounds like they're people size. Well, they said they're about five feet tall, so they're like a short person. Well, no, they're they're like the size of they're like the size of like an average like woman. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're only four <laughs> inches shorter than me. Yeah, they're like the size of like the average human. I mean, human woman's height. We don't know how what their women heights are like, but I'm gonna yeah. assume. Oh my gosh, yes. I one pretending to be a human sounds so funny. <laughs> but no, I want nothing more. Whenever I uh do a redo of that of the uh of that one game we were doing, mm-hmm. I'm gonna simplify it a little bit and I'm gonna make it more sandboxy. And I'm definitely gonna have a group of uh group of people. I mean, a group of crabs try to be people, and everyone's just like, <laughs> uh, 
Save I mean, like everyone, like everyone in town is like real chill with them, but like there's this group of assholes that are trying to fuck with them and think they're monsters. Oh, they're actually rude. really chill, and like we don't know what to do because if we help them, then they feel like they're you know singled out. Yeah, <sighs> I love these things. I love them so much. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> they're like the zoogs. They're like the zoogs. We yes. can't not like them. Oh wait, what what were the big things? The big uh. The big things that ate the zooks. The oh um fuck, what were those calls? The wool? Or behole? Yeah. No, no, that was the that was the worm thing. Yeah. Um God, I don't remember. Well, we also really loved the um fuck, what were they called? The ghouls. We really loved the ghouls. I loved the zooks so much though. The zooks the Yeah, uh, but no, these these things are like one hundred percent just like they're my homies. I love them. We're friends now. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, humans are a pack animal, and I love everything. There were tales of queer claw prints seen around farmhouse windows in the morning, and of occasional disappearances in regions outside of obviously haunted areas. <laughs> Just, I'm sorry. I'm imagining them like pressing their claws on the window, looking inside, like longingly. <laughs> Okay, I now okay. Here's what's going on. Like the farmer knows, everyone knows that they're there. They're really bad at hiding, um, and everyone's just like, you know, we're cool with them. Like, let them just. We're not, you know, they're they're not doing any harm. Uh, like maybe maybe. <laughs> Like, they're all trying to hide, like, real, but, like, they're trying to do that thing where you look into someone's uh, window, like, you know, try to block out the light. Yeah. So you can look in, and then, like, uh, and, like, it's just their claws, and they're looking in, and you noise, and they're just, like, it's just, like, just, just pretend to be asleep. They don't, they don't exist right now. <laughs> Meanwhile, the crap person's like, oh, my God, look at their tea set, it's so cute. If only uh, my big meaty claws were smaller so that I could hold a teacup. <laughs> tales of buzzing voices and imitations of human speech, which made surprising offers to lone travelers on roads and cart paths in the deep woods, and of children frightened out of their wits by things seen or heard where the primal forests press close to their dooryards. In the final layer of legends the layer just preceding the decline of superstition and the abandonment of close contact with these dreaded places well, there were shocked references to hermits and remote farmers who at some period of life appeared to have undergone a repellent mental change and whose shunned and whispered about as mortals who had sold themselves to strange beings in one of the northeastern counties it seemed to be a fashion about 1800 to accuse eccentric and unpopular recluses of being allies or representative of the abhorred things. Oh, I like, don't know. I only love them. How can they be abhorred? Yeah. That sounds eerily like the witch hunts of uh, the 1600s. Funny how that I works. only... How could you not love these things? I know, right? They sound fun. Like, first off, they're crabs with wings. And they also were real curious about humans, and they're just like, "Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna sneak up." Also, apparently, they have robot voices. That's cool. That is cool. 
I imagine they're just asking uh, the travelers for help. Because uh, there are certain oh. things they can't do with their big meaty claws. I dropped I dropped my pennies and I can't pick them up. Please help me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Please, dear human, help me with this scotch tape. <laughs> I keep getting tangled in it. <laughs> please help. Human, how do you yo-yo? As to what the things were, explanations naturally varied. The common name applied to them was those ones, or the old ones. Though other terms had a local and transient use. Perhaps the bulk of the Puritan settlers sat down bluntly as familiars of the devil, and made them a basis of all theological speculation. Those with Celtic legendry in their heritage, mainly the Scotch-Irish element of New Hampshire, and their kindred who had settled in Vermont on Governor Wentworth's colonial grant, linked them vaguely with the malign fairies and the little people of the bogs and wraiths, and protected themselves with scraps of incantation handed down throughout many generations. But the Indians had the most fantastic theories of all. While different tribal legends differed, there was a marked consensus belief of belief in certain vital particulars, it being unanimously agreed upon that the creatures were not native to this earth. The Pinnacook myths, which were the most consistent and picturesque, taught that the winged ones came from the great bear in the sky and had mines in our earthly hills, whence they took a kind of stone that they could not get on other worlds. They did not live here, said the myths, but merely maintained outposts and flew back with vast cargoes of stone to their own stars in the north. They harmed only those earth people who got too near them or spied upon them. Animals shunned them, though instinctively, hatred, not because of being hunted. They could not eat the things and the animals of earth, but brought with them, but brought their own food from the stars. It was bad to get near them. Sometimes young hunters who went into the hills never came back. It was not good either to listen to what they whispered at night in the forest with voices like a bee who, that tried to be the voices of men. They knew speech of all kinds of men, Pinnacook, Hurons, men of the five nations, but did not seem to have or need any speech of their own. They talked with their heads, which changed colors in different ways to mean different things. The, okay, it's hard to describe because, like, one of the first stories was Dagon, which I still think is, like, one of the best stories. Yes, um, for sure. Like, like Noel Lothertep and stuff. But, like, the level of writing compared to, of this, compared to, like, half of the stuff we already read, mm-hmm. is so much higher. Oh, yes. Um, like, I, I see why it took him so long to write this. He put a lot of thought into, like, I can already tell already that he's put a lot of thought into this. Yeah, there's also just, um, it's just also, I like how he hasn't called them savages yet, either. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I don't know, I, I know that's such a low bar, I know. Yeah. It's such a low bar. But, I don't think he's ever talked about Native Americans before, 
without uh, calling them savages in some way. Uh, no. I mean, the guy and the one about the library, he did call them savages. But also, yeah. like, uh, also, like, they were kind of the hero, because that guy was an asshole, and then they killed him. And that, yeah. <laughs> he deserved Again, not it. the only story he wrote with a bunch of uh, angry Native American ghosts. Yeah. Killing a white asshole. At the very least, in that story, it seemed like they were justified the way that he described it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but, no, uh, it's been, this has been good. So besides uh, uh, disparaging the hill folk as backwoods. Uh, I like, I'll, I'll also just put that on the, uh, on the, on the head of just like city folk, not think thinking country folk are dumb. Like that still happens. Yeah. That doesn't I, surprise I me. Completely lost my country accent. Cause I was told I sounded stupid. Like so many times when I was young. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, mm-hmm. it still happens. Yeah. No, I get that. All the legendary, of course, white and Indian alike died down during the 19th century, except for occasional atavistical flare-ups. The way of the Mo- Vermonters became settled, and once their habitual paths and dwellings were established according to a certain fixed plan, they remembered less and less about what fears and avoidances had determined that plan, and even that there had been any fears or avoidances. Many people simply knew that certain hilly regions were considered as highly unhealthy, unprofitable, and generally unlucky to live in, and that the further one was away from them, the better off one usually was. In time, the ruts of custom and economic interests became so deeply cut in approved places that there were no longer any reason for going outside of them. The haunted hills were left deserted by accident rather than by design, save during infrequent local scares. Only wander-loving grandmothers and retrospective nonagenarians ever whispered, of beings dwelling in those hills. Even such whispers admitted that there was not much to fear from those things now that they were used to the presence of houses and settlements, and now that human beings let their chosen territory severely alone. All of this I had known from my reading, and from certain folk tales picked up in New Hampshire. Hence, when the flood time rumors began to appear, I could easily guess what imaginative backgrounds had evolved them. I took great pains to explain this to my friends, and was correspondingly amused when several contentious souls continued to insist on a possible element of truth in these reports. Such persons tried to point out that the early legends had been a significant persistent in uniformity, and that virtually the virtually unexplored nature of Vermont Hills made it unwise to be dogmatic about what might or might not dwell among them. Nor could they be silenced by my assurance that all the myths were of a well-known pattern common to most mankind, or determined by early phases of imaginative experience, which always produced the same type of delusion. Okay, there's two things. Mm -hmm. Two things I want to point out. With this, just because this is falling into a um, a common cycle that you get with a lot of uh, folk legends, I want to say. Mm-hmm. 
where there's this uh, almost like disbelief, like all these people are just like, you know, saying what their grandma said to them and everything. Mm -hmm. And while there are some things that can unify the idea of something, like, for example, like alien, like alien abductions and stuff. Mm-hmm. They tend to be described a certain way just because, like, certain ones got popular, yep. basically. Certain yeah. production stories got popular. Yeah. But, like, but, like, and, like, you could explain those away with, like, uh, like, sleep paralysis and stuff. Because it is a, um, because, like, that's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think sleep paralysis, um, is the cause of, like, a lot of, uh, ghost, ghost stuff and mm-hmm. alien stuff like- and also demon stuff. Bed goblins and incubi and succubi, yeah. And I understand that, but also it's also fun kind of following that whole thing where, um, you know, you're from this area. Like, if like if you told me like half the stuff, half about half the animals in Australia. I'm not trying to pick on Australia. I'm just trying to, you know, like I've always, let's say I've always lived in America, and I there's never been internet, and I only get like you know drawings of a kangaroo. Mm-hmm. Or something. Yeah, I wouldn't believe. I wouldn't believe it. Well, so the, until a lot of people said, until yeah. a lot of people were insisting on it. Yeah. Well, so um, the word for giraffe in Japanese is kirin, which comes from the Chinese. Kirin is a mythological creature, uh, and that's because the when the Chinese saw giraffes for the first time, they're like, "That's fucking kirin. That's what they look like." Uh that that's that's it that's them right there uh and like honestly if you described a giraffe to me and i had never seen one before like i had no idea about any of the sahara i'd be like yeah fucking right well also get out of here um, also uh we'll listen to well if you want to listen to it it's i have an episode on like real animals that were considered monsters i mean cryptids for a while yeah but, like the existence of gorillas were believed for a long time that makes a lot of sense um, um because it sounded like you're just describing like hairy men yeah who were, like really strong <laughs> and uh <laughs> and um uh giraffes for the longest time in Europe before they did all the co- uh, colonizing mm-hmm. and stuff when they would hear about giraffes and giraffe by the way is a uh, Arabic word mm-hmm. um, when they would hear from it from the Arabic traders and stuff uh, they uh, they eventually called it like a uh, Kim Kim Lippard whatever I always forget exactly but um, but the way that they would always the way that it was ascribed to them and uh, you can read it in the Pliny the Elders um, it was yes. supposed to be like a cat-like camel. Yeah. Because they knew about camels. Camels yeah. are huge. They have and long yeah, necks. Giraffes kind of do look like camels, but with long necks. And leopards, leopards were new about. Yeah. So like, um, so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of creatures and stuff. And honestly, like, I know this is, uh, you know, obviously a story, a false mm-hmm. story and everything, but these do follow Stuff that I see a lot. Yeah, uh, I actually uh, when remember... When it comes to cryptid stuff. I can't remember who it was on Tumblr or Twitter was talking about... Um, <laughs> there. So, like, back in the original Dracula movie with um, uh, Bela Lugosi, 
one they use just like a bunch of like random exotic animals to be like animals of the damned in like Dracula's castle. So there was like a hyena, um, I think there were wolves. They also had armadillos. Because uh, oh. armadillos were commonly known unless you lived in the southern United like in the south southwestern United States. You wouldn't know what an armadillo was at that time. So this person was talking about they moved all the way from the East Coast to California to go to college, and their dad was driving across country to come see them. And, like, in the middle of the night, driving down an Arizona highway, uh, he ends up, like, swerving because he sees the creature of the damned, an armadillo, in the middle of the road. And it scared the shit out of him because he didn't think it was real. <laughs> and the only, th- only time he'd ever seen one was in like one of the scariest movies he's ever seen which was Dracula <laughs> but no it's just a little armadillo just a little guy I will say like I, the, the thing that I'm appreciating a lot with just this one chapter uh-huh. so far we're not even done yet is that um, there is a lot of verisimilitude with it yes because He's very much taking a common folkloric storytelling mm-hmm. elements and presenting them in a very much like anthropological way. He's not doubting them per se. He's just saying, here's all of the here here's all of the uh stories, here's the commonalities and all of that. And you know, presenting them very plainly. You know, there's a little bit like, yeah, you know, it could be this or this, but he's you know, he's not really invalidating them, necessarily. Yeah. And hey, you want to uh, know what? Uh, folklore and rumors and s- local rumors and stuff like that have read- led to the rediscovery of species that we thought were extinct. Yeah. Uh, in South America, there was just a species that was rediscovered that they thought was extinct because locals kept insisting. They're like, no, there's de- they are definitely still alive. We see them all the time. And yeah, that happened kept- with some fish. No, that happened with some fish that they thought, like some prehistoric fish that they thought were dead, like yeah. extinct. For yeah, I forget where, but it was one of the island nations. But like the yeah. locals caught one, be like, "Yeah, we see these all the time." Yeah, they just hang <laughs> so, out here. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I don't know. Folklore's cool. Uh, maybe listen to the bumpkins that you think are dumb sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. It was of no use to demonstrate to such opponents that the Vermont myths differed, but little in essence from those universal legends of natural personification, which fill the ancient world with fauns and dryads and satyrs. The Kalikazari of modern Greece and gave to wild whales in Ireland their dark hints of strange, small, terrible hidden races of troglodytes and borrowers. No use either to point out the even more startlingly similar beliefs of the Nepalese hill tribes and the dreaded Migo, or the abominable snowmen, who lurked hideously amongst the ice and rock pinnacles of the Himalayan summits. When I brought up this evidence, my opponents turned it against me by claiming that those must simply apply some actual historicity for ancient tales, that it must argue the real existence of some queer older earth race driven to hiding after the advent and domination and dominance of mankind, which might very conceivably 
been survived in reduced numbers relatively recent times or even to the present. So, Amigo, by the way, which is something that we're also going to be talking about later. Yep. Um, means wild, a man wild, or wild man in Tibetan. It is possibly that the narrator encountered the world Migo, another Tibetan name for the Yeti or Abominable Snowman in the Himalayas. The term Abominable Snowman did not appear in print until 1922, when Lieutenant Colonel Charles K. Howard Burry published the account of Mount Everest, the reconnaissance. 1921, and reported seeing footprints in his coolies concluded those were of wild men of the snow, which gave which they gave the name Christ, just put pronunciations next to these words, please Mith, Mihoth Kang, Mihoth Kangmi the abominable snowman <clears throat> the Migo were mentioned again at the Mountains of Madness, and uh in Lovecraft's Sonic Circle, Fungi from uh, Yogoth. You probably want to look at the son- uh, sonnets at some point. Mm-hmm. By the way, the fish you were thinking of is a colacanth. Yeah! And it was discover- rediscovered in Indonesia, in the yeah. Indian Ocean. Yeah, people thought that that died with the dinosaurs. Yeah! Uh, uh, they also hang out around Madagascar, I guess. Uh, but yeah. Colicants are really cool. They're big, so they have like armored scales on them. Yeah, they look like dinosaurs. The more I laughed at such theories, the more these stubborn friends asseverated them, adding that even without the heritage of legend, the recent reports were too clear, consistent, detailed, and sanely prosaic in the manner of tellings to be completely ignored. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I just agree. I agree. Like, even even if it's fake. Same. Even if it's completely fake. If you should probably look into it. Yeah. At least find out what's so similar that everyone's just like, yeah, it's this. Like consistently. Yeah. Because that is so rare if people are just making stuff up. Yeah, to have something so consistently told. Yeah. I don't know. Just look into it. Two or three fanatical extremists went so as so far as to hint the possible meaning in the ancient Indian tales which gave the hidden beings a non-traditional origin, citing the extravagant books of Charles Fort, with their claims that voyagers from another from other worlds and outer space often visited the Earth. Most of my foes, however, were merely romanticists, who insisted on trying to transfer to real life the fantastic lore of lurking little people which made popular by the magnificent horror fiction of author Machen. Um, so Charles Fort, regarded uh, as, as some by the as the father of paranormal studies, was an American writer who took notes on anomalous phenomenon. It is difficult to say whether he believed many of the stories he researched on topics such as teleportation, alien abductions, unidentified flying objects, spontaneous fires and strange objects or creatures falling from the skies. Fort collected his data from hundreds of newspapers, scientific journals, magazines, and other published sources founded in his beloved New York Public Library. And in London at the British Museum, he was particularly focused on phenomenon that was either on the borders of science and pseudoscience or were subject to multiple interpretations. Author of the 
the author of four books, The Book of the Damned, 1919, New Lands, 1923, Low, 1931, and The Wild Talents, 1932. His work had spawned international Fortean societies, leading to a widening of the boundaries of proper scientific investigations. In the book, The Damned Fort expressed his views on alien contact continuously. If other worlds had ever been in the past, ever in the past had relationship on with this earth, they were attempted positivizations to extend themselves by colonies upon this earth to convert or assimilate indigenous inhabitants of this earth and new lands sounding a slightly less skeptical note. He seemed to endorse the existence of cleansing effects of alien visitations. If be, if there be nearby lands in the sky and beings from foreign worlds that visit this earth, that is a great subject and the trash that is clogging each epic must be cleared away. Um, I will say he was, he was around and he was born. His life was 1874 to 1932. Holy like he was shit. so far ahead. He yeah. was so far ahead of stuff uh, of stuff. Um Damn. Also 14 is a really nice way of just uh 14 studies is a nice way of saying like, yeah, this is all probably fake. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. 14 uh, societies though, no. If you like uh if you want to uh read about modern day uh like fairly well cor- uh collated and collected um, modern-day uh, cryptid sightings, Fortean uh, societies are a good place to look. Cool. Yeah. By the way, that was also the end of Chapter 1, which we yes. will uh, pick also, up on the Part 2 also next friendly week. reminder that Arthur Machen was the one that wrote The Great God Pan, which is a big inspiration to H.P. Lovecraft. But yes, this cool. is the end of the first chapter. Yay! It's really good so far. Damn! I like it a lot. Yeah. But do you have anything uh, to say? No. Besides that this is good. I'm excited for more. I am very excited for more too cuz it only gets better. Woo! Uh, yeah, um you are the irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your cat your keening static howl is like no other and if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable and the mansions of silence would forever fill with all I meant. Bye. Okay, bye.